Okay, this is uh, Gender Trouble today, and you know, two days ago was International Women's Day, and it was like it just came and went, and nobody ever thought about it. You know, a few years ago, we had International Women's Day Parade here, which I thought was really cool, and a lot of people turned out for it, so I'm not sure why the parade stopped, but I liked it, and I thought it was kind of cool, and the first time I went to it, somebody handed me a poster that said, carry this poster, and it was actually a big banner, so somebody had to help me, but it was a picture of Kuan Yin, and I didn't know who Kuan Yin was, so when I got home, I looked it up, and I went, how cool, because Kuan Yin was a Buddhist uh, bodhisattva, important Buddha in Tibet, so anyway... Kuan Yin was a man in Tibet. And when historically the kind of worship or honoring of Kuan Yin moved east into China, Kuan Yin became a woman. And I thought, how cool is that? So there I am carrying a, a banner of uh, Kuan Yin. And of course, you know, I went from thinking, well, not thinking, not wanting to be a man to being a woman. And so I thought it was cool. So uh, Alice came up with the idea today of uh, in sort of celebrating International Women's Day, we're thinking of healers and women as healers, because historically women have been healers since, I don't know, I suppose the beginning of time. And I think it's something that is part of maybe, uh, we could say, maybe the, the feminine um, energy that women have, uh, maybe because of being more grounded and more part of the earth than most men. So we've invited a couple people here, and we have Nava Koningsberg, who is going to talk to us a little bit about it. She's well-known around town as a healer. And she does own the, uh, the Bear Creek Herbs, and she has a lot of experience and knows a lot of the history of women as healers. And so, Nava, tell us a little bit by maybe how you were drawn into finding this as part of your life, right? And so how were you drawn into this? Well, it's been a long journey, and it happened over a long period of time. First of all, let me just thank you for having me here. I'm honored that you asked me to be here as part of this. I have been working with plant medicine for probably about 25 or 26 years. Wow. I started off, I was in college, and I thought I would start a garden, and someone said, well, start an herb garden. I've heard those are easier, and so I planted a little bed of herbs, and I got a job working on an herb farm in my town for a woman who, she didn't do a lot of medicine with people directly, but she sold herbs to other herbalists, and she sold at the farmer's market, and she had one of those beautiful old big white farmhouses and the big red barn and the beautiful gardens, and she taught me a lot about growing plants. And uh, I studied with various people. I spent time working with an herbalist in New York State. I spent time living in Guatemala and working there with the local healers. I spent time, when I moved to New Mexico, I studied with several healers. Michael Moore is one who most people in this community yeah, have heard, heard of, of not, not the filmmaker, no, the, er no. the herbalist. <laughs> he had a school here. 
uh, a couple decades ago, and with Tirona Lodog, who is, was up in Albuquerque at her school. So yeah, over the, over the years, I sort of went back and forth and back and forth between herbalism and wanting to do really innovative gardening projects, yeah. like urban gardening and stuff like that. And what it finally came down to was uh, the thing that brought me to Silver City was that I was pregnant and I just needed a real community to live in rather than up in northern New Mexico where I was that wasn't really working out for me. And so... I took the job at the herb store because I was pregnant and I didn't want to work that hard <laughs> physically in the gardens, which, of course, now I do yeah. garden a lot also. But oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you in Guatemala? I lived in Guatemala for a summer and loved it. Oh, I was way up in the mountains. Oh, uh, we were in Quetzaltenango. I was you? outside of Momostenango, way, oh, okay. way up north. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Doing permaculture and stuff like uh. that. Yeah. You know, when you look at the ingredients of a lot of our medicines and things, everything is kind of plant-based and herb-based, and uh, it's interesting. And cultures throughout, you know, the world have used plants for all kinds of healing and and feeling better and and dealing with lots of things. Well, there are a lot of different traditions of herbalism that are practiced here in the United States. One of the things that people maybe don't think about when we're thinking about this country as, you know, the melting pot of all of these different cultures is that along with foods and along with music and along with all these other things that we think of as part of being our rich heritage, one of the things is our different healing traditions. And so, you know, the ones that people think about, we think about traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine from India, but every different part of the country, based in part because of where people settled where they came from and the medicine they brought with them or the plants that grew there or the diseases that they happened to have because they were there, in addition to food and all those other things, also have very rich traditions of healing. And women who almost throughout the whole world are the keepers of of cultural traditions. We see this when communities move, when immigrants come to this country. It's the women who hold that space often of maintaining the culture. Maybe it's because they're you know, the ones cooking the food or for whatever reason, but it's a known phenomenon that women hold that place very dearly. And to whatever degree healing and medicine is a part of that culture, they also hold that. And it contributes to the marvelous cultural diversity that we have here in the United States. Um, and here in New Mexico, of course, we have the benefit of the traditional Mexican healing and the Native American healing and everybody else who came here and sort of threw their little bit into the pot, you know. I'm Jewish, so I, I, I claim chicken soup, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, my contribution. Yeah. <laughs> but I put green chili in my chicken soup now. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> And so, you know, I think that it's important when we're talking about gender in terms of something like healing that we recognize that the thing where the imbalance comes in is it isn't that there aren't wonderful male healers, but it's that healing is done by women just like many things that women did in the home hasn't gotten the respect that perhaps it deserved. I mean, think of the term old wives' tale. Many things Mm -hmm. having to do in particular with healing are called old wives' tale. Well, who do you think knows what they're doing, right? (laughs) It's exactly the old wives because they are the mothers and the grandmothers, and it is their job to take care of 
everybody. And so they pass on traditions and have an incredible amount of knowledge. Almost worldwide, women are responsible for two things. Well, lots of things, but the main two things are reproductive uh, health, reproductive responsibility, raising children, and and everything to do with that. But they're also uh, responsible almost for food entirely. I mean, even today in the U.S., women do almost women do almost all the shopping and are responsible for preparing the meals, to making sure the kids have lunches to go to school, making sure when everybody gets up in the morning, there's you know, some kind of food available for people. And that's a responsibility that is pretty universal. And even though this is 2016, I think it's predominantly, I mean, overwhelmingly, predominantly women who take on this responsibility. You know, until not too long ago, that was a quite respected and considered an important role. A few years ago, I was at a garage sale, and I stumbled upon this old book from the 40s called The Mother's Encyclopedia. And I opened it up, and there was, you know, how to diagnose various medical conditions and how to treat them and all of these things. And I thought, oh, my gosh, people used to do this. This was an expected part of your job as a parent. And I have this fantasy that someday when I'm not so busy being a parent, I'm going to rewrite it and call it the Parents Encyclopedia and update it a bit. But, you know, it really was this is how you diagnose. This is how you manage a fever. This is how you decide when it's too high and when it's too low. And I thought, boy, that, you know, so many things as parents that we've handed over. You know, we send our children to school for someone else to educate them, and we send them to Sunday school for someone else to teach them about spirituality, and we send them to the doctor when they're sick, and, you know, what's left for us to do except fight with them about cleaning their rooms, you know? (laughs) So it was very inspiring to come upon that book and realize, wow, you know, this really is something that women and parents and people can reclaim. Yeah, well, in a way, it was, remember when Our Bodies, Ourselves came out? Mm -hmm. That was such a radical book. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sort of uh, woke people up a great deal. I don't know how I would have gotten through adolescence without it. (laughs) Well, we used it with our three daughters, and uh, my wife and I, that was one of the main books we used, It's Our Bodies, Ourselves, for trying to, to... really understand how to take care of our kids and what to do instead of calling a doctor every three, you know, every time somebody gets a little headache or every time somebody doesn't feel good, we would, you know, our book was really (laughs) dog-eared. You know, I I do want to say that we are incredibly lucky here in Silver City because the medical community is really progressive and really, for the most part, incredibly supportive of alternative healing, Uh, recognizes the importance of diet and exercise, and my experience with them has been overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And that includes the pharmacists, who sometimes I'll call up and say, ah, you know, what what, what can I do here? What are my options? Uh, Doctors, the physician's assistants, the nurse practitioners, the nurses. We're very lucky in our little bubble here that that there's a much more sense of integration of different types of healing than maybe 
maybe in some other parts of the country. Well, isn't there like a greenhouse or something behind Silver Healthcare and the doctors there? And, and I don't know if it was Dr. Gomez that was sort of uh, one of the people that was responsible for that or something. I don't know, but it's, I felt, wow, how cool is that, that they're actually looking at alternatives to allopathic medicine. It's time to take a break and we'll be back shortly. We are back uh, with Gender Trouble and we're talking about women and healing and we're talking with Nava Konensberg and, and we've actually been joined by Louise Cash and she's the, um, the owner and practitioner or healer at, uh, is it Red Hat Healing? Yes, yes it is. Red, Red Hat Healing Center. Center, Red Hat Healing Center. We're just talking about the ways that uh, women have taken on, whether, who knows why that may be, but maybe it's just the way it's meant to be, but women have taken on a lot of responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities, besides reproductive responsibility, which includes everything to do with kids and family and home and, and even preparing food, is taking on the responsibility of caring and bringing people back to health when they get out of sorts. And so we have Louise Cash. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your, what you do and, and your relationship to being a healer? And also, of course, you are a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, all of those. Mm, I have a passion for healing. It started many years ago actually with horses wow, and um, doing body work on horses. And then I noticed that the rider of the horse was affecting with the horse's skeletal system. So that was my route toward being a chiropractor because in being a chiropractor, I could work on both people, the riders or non-riders and horses. Okay, so you're a licensed chiropractor? Yes, I'm, oh, I'm a chiropractic physician, uh-huh. and I work mostly on people here. I do do some horses out at um, a veterinary clinic, Arenas Valley Veterinary Clinic, uh-huh. yeah. and some dogs also, an occasional cat. <laughs> and like they, they let you do that kind of manipulation? You, I'm you very like gentle. <laughs> I do okay. I do very gentle and different chiropractic work. I work with a laser, cold laser, and it helps at the cellular level of our cells or an animal's cells, and it turns that cell on. It works on the mitochondria wow. yeah. of the cell, and that's the powerhouse of the cell. And each cell needs its energy to do whatever its job is. So I use the laser and muscle testing to find out what's going on in your body and then get directives of how to help Yeah, wow. with gentle adjusting and the laser. And I'm also a certified intuitive. So I blend that into the mix of a session. Yeah. I, I actually don't know what an intuitive is. I can read a person's body mind okay in a medical sense if you walk by me on the sidewalk no i do not know what you're thinking and i really don't care (laughs) 
But during a session, I'll look at the body, I'll look at the chakras, I'll look at how you are, and we'll discuss what could be going on. Wow. You know, I've never been to a chiropractor. Well, I know a good one you could start with, Susan. I do, too. And, you know, Dr. Louise also uses some sound therapy with uh, Tibetan bowls. You know, wow. the singing bowls that yes. are placed on certain areas of the body that might need them. And that vibration goes through, which also helps open and heal. Yeah. My dog was hit by a car a few years ago, and he dislocated his hip, and the vets missed it. They didn't even x-ray it there. And I took him to see Louise, and she knew something was wrong. And she wouldn't touch him until we went back and got better x-rays to find out what's going on and that was how we found it and so you know in a, in a feel like chiropractor someone being willing to say to just stop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask you to, uh, my understanding my experience with chiropractors is it's a pretty male dominated field and I'm it is. just wondering what it was like for you getting into that field um, I don't know how long ago you were in school, um, but twenty years. 20 so years ha- ago. has it changed? Was it so? Hard? I don't think it's changed a lot. It is male dominated. Eighty-five percent of chiropractors are male. Yet for patients, eighty-five percent are female. Interesting. Because women feel their bodies better than men. Men mm-hmm. tend to shut off what's going on and just just work through it. Yeah, well, I could attest to that. You know, I think maybe it's because of growing up in you know, transgender where I never related to my body. Mm-hmm. I've also never had a massage. I mean, I just sort of was always like, don't touch my body. Yes. Because it was always a battleground kind mm-hmm. of between mind and body. So I feel like I've missed out on a lot and a lot of possibilities because I've always distanced myself from my own experience and my own body. So and I work with things like that. Yes. I work She's with people good. coming back into their body after trauma. could be mm-hmm. brain trauma. It could be abuse of any kind. It could be yeah. your own uncomfortableness in, your, in yourself. And the work that I do helps integrate people as a whole. Yeah. Well, again, it's all about healing. It's all about seeing the body as instead of like a mechanical thing, like a lot of allopathic medicine is that something goes wrong while you replace the carburetor or something. And I I do feel and know that there's a lot more going on in that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I enjoy Silver City. Yeah, we we really do have an incredibly diverse healing community of all different modalities. And every once in a while, us in the alternative healing community say, oh, we really should get together and do something. And then we all get busy with our own things again. But <laughs> I'm hoping to start that up again. It's oh, on my, nice. by my bucket list for the next couple of years is to... Uh, start up a a group that would organize roundtables and panels and classes on different aspects of healing. So I'll let you know when when that happens. Mm -hmm. So from a lay person, it would be very beneficial if there is 
a way we could begin to think differently and more holistic about our own body. I mean, it's not like I don't believe it's true because I've had experience where I do think it's true. I guess it's, it's very hard to, to, how do you go from how we were raised to realize that mind and body are one and they're intertwined and healing the mind heals the body and heals, healing the body can heal the mind. Maybe some sort of workshops like that would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I agree. Mm-hmm. We did. We tried. Yes. <laughs> we had a meeting it's at your to, office, yes. in fact. Yes. <laughs> time to try again. <laughs> That's interesting that you said that about that most of the patients are women. I don't have that experience as much. I have a lot of men who come in, and I think that perhaps part of it is because of the sense of herbalism as being self-care. Mm-hmm. And so for people who are sort of say, well, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want somebody else to take care of me. This is a way that they're taking care of themselves. Yes. And so it's more, it seems more across the board because it's about people empowering themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to see. Maybe I'll look out customers. Maybe I'll start keeping tabs. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know but there, are, there, there certainly are, in herbalism, there are more women than men as practitioners. But the men tend to be the ones who write the books and uh, sometimes get more more well-known. Not that there aren't some very well-known and well-written female herbalists, but uh, some of us are too busy raising children and being herbalists Mm -hmm. to write books. So (laughs) I'm going to pay better attention to my customer base and get a sense of... Because it seems to me one of the neat things is that everybody comes into my shop, uh, everybody from all aspects of the community, you know. Uh, so, yeah. That's wonderful. That. Yeah. It is good. That yeah. 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 Well, you know, you're talking about the 85% women. You know, if you look at almost uh, the vast majority of churches, regardless of whether it's... Uh, you know, besides Christian churches, even if it's Sufis or even it's meditation, or it's predominantly women that are connecting with their spirituality. And uh, I don't know, um, maybe it's the same energy or the same thing where women are more in touch with holistic approach to living. And so... Yes, mm. possibly. But, yeah, I would just say, just go pick a church, you know, like the Methodist Church on College Street. Walk in and it would be predominantly women. Or uh, just about every church I've been in, and I've been in a lot of them. Spent 20 years here as a fundamentalist Christian, so that was fun. (laughs) And most of the churches are women. Mm-hmm. They have to drag them in there. Well, and that speaks again to the to the concept of women as the, the holders of culture and tradition and passing that on to family. And I want to say that there are many men of great and deep faith in this community, so I don't in any way mean to not acknowledge that. But it is traditionally the women who, especially, again, when people come from one community to another and there's that sense of having to hold on to that a little more. You know, I, for myself, I moved here, I'm Jewish, and so the sense that I had to really provide that for my children because they weren't going to just absorb it from the community 
has definitely been something that I recognized as a mother that I had to really focus on. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back, and I want to ask you about your kids. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we're talking about women and healing, and women's involvement in healing, uh, I guess, since the beginning of time, and, uh, and something that's often overlooked, because we think in terms of, well, when allopathic medicine came along, it sort of re replaced the idea of going to the local healer, which was usually a woman, and uh, or like, for instance, midwives and so on, were always women, or mostly. And so we're kind of discussing this. And I have a little story that's kind of like women in healing. It, I was recovering from, I think it was Dr. Twana Sparks, who... I think she was reaming out my nose, and I don't know. There's a there's a technical term for that, but it was an idea so that <laughs> so I could uh, breathe better. And I have a friend, and and she was from Tanzania, and uh, and also in and spent a lot of time in Uganda. And she's a very close friend, and she was taking care of me. And so I'm laying there in a kind of a semi-drug state, you know listening to her sounds and she was making concoctions for me to drink and she was like pounding up ginger and other kind of roots and things and all the noises she made were not any kind of noises that I was used to you know there was like pounding and there was stirrings and but they all sounded different because she was and her movements were different and and I'm laying there listening to this and I'm going Oh, it's so, because we, we're used to things being how we were raised, and here she is doing all these things. And actually, it almost made me start feeling better knowing she was doing all this stuff. And she did come over and said, okay, drink this. And I went, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but I did drink it, and it was good. But here's a person that has nothing to do with our culture in any kind of way, comes over here and immediately puts herself in the position of healing. Mm. And I thought that was so cool. I just wanted to mention, I was a midwife for a while back in the, uh, uh, it was in the 60s in Mendocino, California. I was sort of the hippie midwife. And, uh, and I actually stopped doing it because I started feeling like this is something that women should do and it should be women energy involved and and I know internally I probably had that energy, but I was feeling uncomfortable, so I stopped. And, uh, and you both have children, and I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about the relationship you have with being a mother and, and puts you in the position of being a healer. And how does it tie into wanting to then becoming a healer as a way of life? Mm. I am a mom, this is Louise, and I have a son and a daughter, and they're both in their late 30s. So that makes me about 42. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I love being a mother. I'm very nurturing by nature. Uh, I was an at-home mom. I didn't become a chiropractor until my kids had almost left the home. 
My children are now, one is a PhD scientist. Oh, my. Yeah. And the other one is in the highest realms of the United States Air Force. Wow. So they're, yeah. and they enjoy life, and they have children and have wonderful relationships. But being a mom helps me be a healer because I really practiced when I was a mom. I, I believe that all women are innately healers. Some of right. us have worked on it and other people are late bloomers. Other people are busy doing other things. There's no judgment. We all have the ability. And I will extend that to men also because men and women are both male and female. Yeah. We have our male side aspects and our female aspects. So in being a mom and then going into healing, it makes me a better healer. Now when I get a young person in my office, work with young people, anybody younger than I am is a young person, <laughs> I consciously work on them as a gift to their parents uh -huh. and their yeah. family. Like, mom and dad, I'm helping your child because somebody out there will help mine. Yeah, interesting. Passing yeah. it forward. Yeah, and something I learned, I have my degree in counseling and, and gender studies, and, and so when I was at the Center for Child Development, I was watching the way the women deal with the children, and I realized how I was kind of removed and I grew, and I began to find that part in me. But I have always noticed that the capacity moms have for when a child has heaved, you know, thrown up or made a mess, I've seen mothers just go and take care of things and make people feel well. And men are not trained or socialized or however, or they get removed. And I know in myself, I was afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. I was afraid to step right in. But I recognized that there was something that was, I was shortchanged in my own upbringing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I admired that always. Uh, so. This is Nava. So um, I... It was thinking as you were talking about the relationship between being a mother and being a healer. And I think that as mothers, we have to wend our way through knowing our children. I mean, when a, when a parent comes to see me and says, you know, what should I do? Is my kid okay? The first thing I ask is, well, what do you think? There are so many times when a parent says, something's wrong. I can tell. Well, that's when you go and you get help from someone. And, and finding that balance between trusting our intuition, trusting our relationship with our child, and reaching out for professional help and having that dance and that relationship. You know, being empowered in your own health isn't about never asking for help. It's about understanding how to ride that. And as mothers, especially new mothers, you know, be at the hospital every other 
moment. I remember when my daughter, the first time she rolled off the bed and landed on the floor, and I called the emergency room in tears, and the nurse there talked me down, and I said, uh, so how many, you get, do you get a lot of calls like this? And she said, oh, yeah, honey, all, every day, all the time. And I said, ugh. But it is that balance between here's this precious life that we are responsible for and can't necessarily communicate well, especially when they're really tiny, what's going on and having to figure it out. It can be, are they, you know, are they hungry? Are they wet? But also, are they feverish? Are they in pain? And the terror that we as parents feel when our kids are sick and the empowerment that we feel when we're able to help them and help ourselves and it is. It's it's a dance. It's a relationship. It's the same relationship that hopefully we grow up to have with our healthcare practitioners, which is that you know I'm an expert on living in my body, and you are an expert, mm-hmm. Louise, on you know the structural aspects and being a chiropractor, and the doctor is an expert on being a doctor. And when we interact, we want to have a collaborative conversation right. and a collaborative relationship. Like, yes. And that's what I ask of my health, the people that I work with as myself as a patient, and that's what I try to hopefully extend to other people. And so I think as women, we are sort of thrown into the deep end of the pool pretty quickly. And also looking to, you know, you're talking about midwives, I think that one thing that gets overlooked a lot is that for most of history, there wasn't necessarily one person in the community who was the midwife. This was what women did for each other. And the thing that qualified them to do it was the fact that they had given birth themselves. They had been there. They could look another woman in the eye and said, I did this. You can do this too. And so I think it is important to never cut off a branch of work to anyone based on their gender. And at the same time to say, okay, well, if you haven't had this experience, a woman who hasn't had a child also isn't able to look another woman in the eye and say, I've done this. So what are the other paths that people, that men or women who haven't had children can take for gaining the knowledge and the empathy that a woman who has can do? And it's the same as a healer. I mean, no healer has had every illness or ailment that their patients are bringing to them. You know, they can only, they can say, oh, yes, I had that and I can relate, but hopefully not everything that people come to them with has the, the practitioner suffered from themselves. So then it bumps into, okay, well, I haven't had that particular malady, but I have empathy and I have compassion and I'm here to hear you. And that's what we do as mothers too, right? As we, yeah, we well, and as parents. That's what I was going to say. It's the empathy. That's the word that comes to me when I see people struggling, there's a tremendous sense of empathy going on. I guess I didn't really begin to feel those things until I just really gave up trying to be a guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then everything else started flowing. But I bet you had empathy for your children. That's what, as parents, whether male or female, with these little beings Mm -hmm. that we have to that are you know given to us for, to care for, and I think that is where it starts from. Is is saying I don't under I don't know you. I'm not really sure on a intellectual level what it is you want. So I'm gonna bump my own ability to read you up to the next level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always admired my wife for being. I always thought she was the best mother in the world <laughs> because she just had that. Well, we both loved our children, but my wife would 
like I say, she would just enter into their world and be there with them in a way that I wasn't able to. And it was uh, always remarkable. I sort of sidetracked a little bit here talking about my own things, but we're really here to because it's International Women's Day. And I would like to hear, because uh, Louise has to go fairly quick, so I would like to have Louise talk a little bit about how she ties in chiropractory with chiropractory around the world and maybe uh, her own experience on, on a broader uh, scale, I guess. Oh, yes, I'd love to. I have the experience of traveling to Paris to wow. teach chiropractic. I was on staff, and I don't know French, yet mm-hmm. there was a wonderful connection that I had with these people as I showed them what to do with just with my body language and they got it these were other doctors other chiropractors and we made lifelong friendships wow and there are chiropractors around the world we're natural healers uh-huh. we focus on the life force the chi in the body and getting helping that help heal ourselves yeah. so there are chiropractic organizations that go to islands and third world countries and volunteer their time to yeah. help hundreds and thousands of people feel better that's an aspect that i had no idea about chiropractory you know it I always thought it was sort of mechanical, and you're talking about chakras and chi, and yes. and, and and I'm going, wow! I didn't know about that. that's really holistic, and it's, it's very holistic. It's very body, mind, spirit. Yeah, that's and amazing. That unites the world, and as people feel better, then they they're out in their community in a more whole way. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, so. Gosh, we probably should have a show about chiropractory. <laughs> but this is the show is called Gender Trouble, so I want to keep it with gender. So you, you have to go real soon. Any last things you want to say, Louise? Just um, I appreciate being here, and I thank Silver City. It's a great place to be. I have learned a lot. <laughs> Let me tell you, I just didn't know what was you know what was involved and what was going on and. You know, I grew up in California where chiropractors went through a stage of being considered quacks. Yes. And then all my friends were saying, oh, I went and saw this chiropractor and they would come back and they were feeling better. And I still had this ingrained idea in my head and, and, you know, you really helping me turn it around. Yeah, so wonderful. And I guess we're going to take a break right now. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and uh, we're here with Nava Konensberg, and she's going to talk a little bit about internationally women in healing and uh, just the uh, involvement of women, women in this type of responsibility for humans. I guess first I want to just sort of maybe define some terms. There's a lot of different words that get thrown around when we're talking about types of healing other than what we think of as standard practice medicine. And so people use the word 
holistic or natural or integrative or there's a whole slew of words that Ayur- people use. Ayurvedic? Ayurvedic. There's all these different terms. And some of them refer to a very specific type of healing, like Ayurvedic is a very particular type of healing that comes from India. It's a whole system unto itself. When you talk about healing, you also have to talk about what are different cultures' ideas about what are the causes of health and what are the causes of illness. And that's something that we think we take for granted. So in Western society, we think that you get sick because you're exposed to a bug, for example. But all over the world, people have different understandings of what are the factors involved in that. The term that I feel most comfortable for myself using when I talk about the work that I do is holistic, because to me it covers a whole number of arenas of whole medicine. And so I will explain that. And what I mean by that in one area, for example, is to say, hey, more tools you got in the toolbox, the better off you are. And so that it could include herbs, that could include chiropractic that could include energy work, but it could also include surgery or radiation or drugs. It includes, it means figuring out the best tool, the most appropriate tool to use for the job and not just shutting your mind down to any possibility. And unfortunately, we see this from both ends. We see practitioners of Western medicine who are totally unopen, not open to alternative Thoughts, And we also see a lot of people in the alternative community who are totally shut down to any of the benefits that modern medicine can give us. And so the more we can keep our minds open and all work together for the best outcome and, and the highest place, that is one aspect of being holistic. Another aspect of being holistic doesn't necessarily have to do with how you treat something, but how you think about yourself as a human and what health means in the terms of your mind, body, spirit, like you've been talking about, but also in the context of yourself in a family and in a community and in a society. There are some cultures in which it's impossible in their mindset for one person in the family to be sick. If one person is sick, the family is not well. And in America, you know, we have a we place a huge emphasis on individuality and self-reliance and those are very good attributes, but we also are have communities and families and society that we need to be responsible to and answer to. And so seeing people in all of those contexts is another aspect of being holistic. And where that kind of all ties in to women and to the, inter- the bigger international and global concept of this is that health isn't about did you take your herbal tea versus did you take your pill. Health is about do your children have enough to eat? Is that food healthy? Is it highly processed? Is it covered with pesticides? Is their water clean? Does it have lead in it? These are issues of health and of justice that are not being addressed often by the powers that be, and that only people who care enough about the little people to go and fight for it, they're the ones who are going to speak out. And so women all around the world, just as being mothers is an experience that we have all around the world, just as dealing with the unique health issues that women face because of our because of being pregnant, because of just the ways that our body work and and having all of that in common, 
as mothers and as women, we find ourselves having to also be the advocates for clean water and for all of the other thing, you know, a, a good education yeah. for all of the other things that are part of health. So, you know, here in America, it's really easy for us to go to the place of, oh, well, you know, I'm going to eat my organic quinoa that I, you know, but that's a luxury. Most people in the world, most children in the world don't have the luxury of picking and choosing what they eat. Huh. Getting anything to eat is what they're most concerned with. And so, as women living on the planet, as women who care about our children and who care about our communities and who care about the earth, you know, in some types of healing, there's a sense that the human body is a microcosm of the planet and that what happens in the body and what happens on the planet reflect each other. And so if we look at what's happening in our planet right now, it's understandable. You know, I mean, for example, everybody talks about global warming. Well, one of the biggest issues that I see across the board is inflammation. Well, what's inflammation but warming, right? Inflame, heat. And so why everything's hot. Everything's getting hotter. We're getting hotter. We're getting more inflamed. The planet is getting hotter and more inflamed. And so it's about connections. And I think that is something that women are more, I don't think they're better at that men, than men, but I think they're more practiced at well, I think than more, men. They, I think it's in being in tune to what needs to be done and in sense of responsibility. Because, you know, there's this program that gives microloans to women in Africa and other places. And they've discovered if they give a microloan to a woman, then the family will flourish. But if they give it to the men, it gets spent. <laughs> and it's pretty, not 100%, but a great deal of the time. And so now this program actually only gives microloans to women. Well, you know, there are institutions in place, governments and industries that men have been have created and have been able to work within that power structure. But there are other power structures that sort of maybe run underneath that have been the purview of women over time. And if you ask my kids who's the boss in our house, (laughs) they'll say, Mom, you know, I think anybody would say that. We are a world that has great respect for our mothers, so much so that that's what we call the planet that we're on, right, Is, is Mother Earth. So I think it's about integration and about taking the unique ways that women create community and integrating them into existing paradigms of organization, right? Integrating them into government. What would it look like if rather than polarizing everybody all the time in terms of politics, if we had to work it out if the same way that, you know, you have to work it out with your toddlers. Okay, you sit over there and you sit over there and nobody moves till you figured this out, you know? Yeah. What would it look like if we ran our government that way? Yeah, we told, uh, <laughs> we told one of the politicians to take a time out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You go sit in the corner and cool off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that for women, it is, it is a universal experience of providing for our children, of caring for them, of seeking health. I think all people seek health, ultimately, men and women. We all, everyone wants to be healthy, and things derail us. But the more that we sort of walk that walk between saying, okay, let's not make anything an absolute. You know, it's not about alternative medicine versus regular medicine. It's not about 
men versus women or one country against another, but how, how do we pull ourselves out of the situation that we found ourselves in? And we do it through compassion and we do it through making a conscious choice to find the things that we have in common with other people and look for those rather than our differences. And I think that women are good at that. Yeah, you know, I think so. Yeah. And and again, not because men don't have the capacity, but because they've had other avenues for relating and, and creating society and bringing it all together. And that maybe someday we'll just be celebrating. We pulled it off day, you know. <laughs> that would be nice because uh, you know the you know International Women's Day does sort of get uh, glossed over. You know, Mother's Day originally was a day for women to speak out against war and to recognize that that the original vision for Mother's Day wow. was that it yeah. was a day that women would say, you know what, I don't care what side you're on. I'm not sending my son to kill your son. Yeah. You know, and I'm and and we as women need to say yeah. which is not about not supporting our troops or anything like that, but the best way to support them is to keep them safe by yeah, not having wars in the first home. place. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think that's something that women share is that we, we watch our, our sons and our husbands and now our daughters too, you know, march off to incredible danger. And you don't have health without peace and you don't have peace without clean water and enough food for everybody and respect and empathy. And having said all of that, we all do what we can. You know, we can't all save the world. Here we are in Little Silver City doing the best we can. And so I think the more we keep politics out of it and keep our humanity in it, the better chance we'll have of being happier and wholer as people and therefore healthier and happier and healthier and wholer as a community. Yeah, what I like what you said was the, uh, and, and it's good to think about it all the time, is that we look for our commonalities with people and not our differences. I read a, a book uh, some time ago. It was about this woman activist, a peace activist, and she'd been arrested like 500 times, you know, chaining herself to nuclear sites and things like that. And, and the title of the book was, Other People Have Dreams Too. And I always think about that title, Other People Have Dreams, because we think it, we're the only ones that have dreams, and our dreams, like our manifest destiny, didn't consider the dreams of the Lakota Sioux. It just considered our dreams, but they have dreams. And so what you're saying is let's find, let's find a commonality of our dreams. So I think that's wonderful. Thank you, Nava, very much for coming, and I sure appreciate it, and you got a lot to say. And for me, this was a very educational hour, and thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 